Welcome to the Bible Idiots Podcast. It is spring break, and all week long we're going to be bringing you the long-form teaching. And we hope it encourages you, and we hope that you enjoy it. Today, Pastor Chris is going to take us to Romans chapter 6, very applicable for today. And his message is entitled, How Dead Men Should Live. So here's Pastor Chris. So, turn with me to your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to do one of those expository sermons today, where we're going to do verses 1 through 4. So if you'd stand with me. And the title of our message is How Dead Men Should Live. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, we read in Jesus' name. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. Lord Jesus, let these words be your words and let you be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, if you were here last week, you realized that I tried to carry 10 pounds in a five-pound bag, and I just uh, rushed through the, the DPC, the Dead Persons Charter, and this message is a direct follow-up to that. And I should have split it into, a th- into three parts, but I just really want to share this information with you prior to Clean Slate Sunday next Sunday. And so YouTube's going to have it all. And our website now, when you go to the website, usually by Monday, uh, this week it'll probably be Tuesday because of the holiday, this message will be there. So you don't even have to go to YouTube. You can go right to lifehouse-church.com to get that. But how dead man should live, and in Scripture speaking, where we are in Romans, in this writing of Paul, he has been building the case necessary of salvation. He's been building that, setting that up for what it means to be saved. Because he's already explained to us, before we get to chapter 6, verse 1, that we're all sinners. We've been shown that there is one means of salvation, that's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no, there's nothing else. We've been told that by placing our faith in Jesus for salvation, we are given the gift of eternal life in him. Not just given eternal life. We're given eternal life in Jesus. That's key. Don't lose that today. Write that down. I'll give you a second. Write it down. It's in Jesus. My salvation is in Jesus. Paulus let us know that the human race is doomed because of the sin of Adam. However... Those humans who come to Jesus for salvation are saved from that doom and are given new life in Christ. So now as we begin chapter 6, Paul's going to spend the next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8. Look, if you're on a deserted island and you're like, Lord, I need, a, I need some scriptures to just be with me, read chapter 6, 7, and 8. In fact, if I could memorize three uh, chapters in scripture, it would be 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. That's how important this is to explaining the life that we're going to try to live. See, all signs point that this is incredibly needed information, the signs that we visibly see amongst us. What do we see? We see that people need an explanation for how to live this new life in Christ. Evangelists can point the need for Jesus, and it's been in the new millennium, not not this one, but the, the one we just got out of, you know, 
the 1900s, okay, was when we kind of turned it into accept Jesus as your Savior. Say a prayer, accept Jesus as your Savior. Because that's not how you get saved. That's one way to get you there. The actual salvation is a transfer of trust. You're not trusting in yourself or your works or anything that you could possibly do. You're trusting fully in Jesus Christ. That's where salvation is found. And one of the ways to get there is by coming forward and saying a prayer. But what happens is, is a lot of people do that act and they try to add Jesus to their life. All right, Jesus, I'm going this way. And I guess if I say a prayer, you're going to come into my life and you're going to go with me. And we're going to go. And that's not it. When you study the actual scriptures, what it is, is, is you are saying, I got nothing. I'm sinful. There's no way I can save myself. I'll never be good enough. Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my whole life. And we're going to learn today in these four verses and surrounding texts that I've got for you that that's what it means to be a Christian. That's the explanation. See, in this scripture, we get detailed instructions on how to live that new life in Christ. And for those of us from last week and those of us today, we get a, a big part of that concept moving forward. It is incredibly important to me as your new pastor that when we get to Clean Slate Sunday next week, that I have at least explained all of this to you, which is why I'm taking five weeks of messages and condensing them into three weeks and talking really fast. <laughs> so we're going to slow our roll today a little bit, as much as I can, and we're going to get into how dead men should live. See, the first four verses of chapter 6 Paul begins the treatment of this subject. And in this passage, we're giving the first set of instructions pertaining to the new life. And so that we can, you know, it sounds like a strange statement, but we can see how dead men should live. And then it'll make a lot more sense what I tried to explain to you last week. So let's, let's, let's get in with, into it here. Now, verses 5 through 11 are really key. I mean, they drive home the point, but let's focus on the first four today. There are three realities that we must accept, and they're in your notes, and we're going, to fill in the <clears throat> we're going to fill in the blank together. Three things. <clears throat> First one, <clears throat> and by the way, uh, just a sidebar for the church board, let's buy something for the communion cup so that I can have my coffee up here with me, because you took my coffee holder for the communion cup. <laughs> I joke. Anyway... <clears throat> Let's go to point number one. They must accept the reality of their passing. They must accept the reality of their passing. <clears throat> this is God's way of saying you shouldn't have smoked for 20 years. Ah. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. In verses one and two, it lays it right out there. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it. And there's two sub-points that I want to put in there today. One is an argument. Verse 1 is the argument. It's right there. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? In his usual manner, Paul anticipates the arguments of the reader. That's what's so beautiful about the Bible. The Scripture, you know, scripture interprets Scripture, and Paul interprets Paul. A lot of times Paul will tell you what he's saying, then he'll retell you what he's saying, then he'll tell you why he said it, and he'll tell it to you a third time. And a lot of us are like, I don't know what God's will is with this passage. Well, read it. Absorb it. 
you know, Paul anticipates the arguments and he deals with it up front. This is based on the chapter before. If you go back to, to chapter 5, verse 20, in that passage we are told that in the presence of much sin there is much more grace. Romans 5.20 says the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So the argument of verse 1 is this. Well, if grace comes as a result of sin, then shouldn't we just sin more so we can enjoy more grace? Isn't that the American way? More. Sadly, this is the philosophy of the life that many Christians live by. Many know that they are saved and that their salvation is eternal. They know they are eternally secure, so they live far below God's standard. That's what the DPC was about, was coming, trying to come back to a higher standard of what God's really calling us. Because if, if you know Jesus, if you've committed your life to him, you know. You know, and I know that you know. Get it? He wants more of you. And he wants you to continue to pursue him. Ask, seek, knock, then you'll find him. You get it? It's, it's all there. It's so, it's so straightforward. They know they're eternally secure, so they live far below God's standard, knowing they can repent at any time. This is a dangerous way to live your life. Because if you've been caught in this mindset, here's what your actions say about you. Two things. Number one, you were never really saved. Number one, you were never really saved. Number two, you don't care what your life says about Jesus. You just don't care. Either scenario places you on dangerous ground. If you're not saved, you're in danger of hell. Look, it's a dangerous way to live if you want to sin more so grace can more abound. Or you say, you know what, it doesn't matter, I'm saved. I know that Jesus can cover my sins. I'm once saved, all, you know, once I committed my life to Christ, he covered all my sins for all of my days. True, but why would you want to live that way? If you really knew what salvation meant, why would you want to live that way? It says one of two things about you. It says one, you've never really been saved, or two, you don't care what your life says about Jesus. And I don't know how you can totally appreciate what Jesus did for you and what your transfer of trust being saved is going to be if you take point number two. See, I don't think it's possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then not give a rip about what your life says about Jesus. Either scenario places you on dangerous ground. If you're not saved, you're in danger of hell. If you are saved, you stand the faith, the chastisement of God, because as I explained last week, judgment comes in the household of faith. God disciplines his own. So keep that in mind. So don't live under such a faulty ideal of life. Uh, number two, uh, B is an answer. Paul gives an answer. And the answer to their argument is pretty brief and clear. If you, we are indeed dead to sin, then how can we continue to live in sin? I struggled with this with years. I still kind of struggle with it sometimes until I go back and understand these passages that I'm sharing with you now, which is why I'm sharing it with you, so you too can understand. Because we're not going to live sin-free. You know, I met a Nazarene pastor one time who said, you know, I got so frustrated at the grocery store, I almost sinned, and that would have been the first time in 17 years. I'm like, I'm so weak, I can't even hardly go 17 minutes. I still find that to be a delusion of the scriptures. We still have a sin life, but we're not bent towards evil. Stay with me. We're going to get to it today. But that is the answer. In this verse, in verse 2, Paul uses death as an analogy of the Christian life. While we who are in Christ are more alive than we've ever been, at the same time, we're dead. When death touches these physical bodies, there's a certain change that takes place immediately. As soon as the person dies... 
guess what? They lose all the desires of the things they used to enjoy. If a man were an alcoholic, as soon as he dies, guess what? He doesn't have a desire to drink anymore. He's dead. If, a, if someone's a drug addict, death, they're free from that desire of drugs. Am I wrong? You guys all know that's true. Death brings with it certain limitations for the person affected by it. It's a real thing. The same is true for the Christian. When we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus for salvation, we died to sin. Now, I know that the old nature still yearns for sinful expression. It's still there. It's still trying to fight. It still wants everything that it ever did. The old nature will not change until it dies at the end of our physical lives. So if you're already dead, then you have no fear of death. Get it? And if you're already dead, then that sinful nature that's in you that's going to stay there till the last day that you breathe your breath, it starts to lose its gumption. See, when we're saved, we're made a new creature in Jesus Christ. There's a new man living in these physical bodies and he is dead to sin. He doesn't care about it. He doesn't want it. It does not appeal to him or her in the least. Now, some of you may have a hard time grasping this because it seems that you still want to sin as much or more than you ever have. There's an ebb and flow of life, right? There's an ebb and flow of life. And there's a reality and the reality is, is that you have two dogs inside of you and they're fighting. Which one wins? Seminary professor taught me this. And that's probably an old saying. Maybe many of you have heard it. Do you know which dog wins every day? The one you feed the most. The one you feed the most. Daily in keeping with repentance, we serve the Lord. Daily. Paul tells us we must reckon ourselves dead to sin. This word is an accounting term in verse 11 that means to calculate. Paul is telling us to add up the evidence and then declare ourselves dead to sin. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. I had a friend of mine when I explained the DPC for the first time a couple years ago, he's like, oh, Chris, you're just playing make-believe. I'm like, no, we're not. We're putting a peg in the ground that says, this is it. And that peg for most people can be their baptism. But what if you were baptized a decade ago and you're still struggling? Maybe God's calling you to that deeper life. So point one is they must accept the reality of their passing. And if we go to Romans 6.14, it says, For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. Kind of like God puts this responsibility on our shoulders. However, he's given us all we need to see it come to pass. And if you've accepted the reality of your passing, then we can go on to point number two. They must accept the reality of their position. You must accept the reality of your position. Verses three in the first part of four says this. It says, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptized into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may have the newness of life. See, verse 3 tells us that we received Jesus, we were baptized into him, and as a result, we were baptized into his death. This is a placement. Your A point in your notes today is a placement. 
You're being placed there. Paul's not referring to water baptism here. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the baptism of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given the one Spirit to drink. A believer's baptism of immersion pictures this event. But it's not the same event. See, Paul is telling us that when we got saved, we were placed into the body of Christ. We are in him this morning, placed there by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Anybody who ever tells you you got to be baptized to be saved, they are telling you a lie. Baptism by immersion is a very needed thing for the believer. It's something that we should do out of obedience. And there's a lot of text that goes along with that. The BIC teaches that. I teach that. We, we're all, the Lifehouse Church teaches that, just so you know if you're visiting this morning. That's who we are. But I say all that to say the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, and he was with Jesus that day in paradise. See, we are placed in Christ. That placement comes from the Spirit of God. And then what happens? Well, he wants participation. B is a participation. Paul goes on to tell us that when we were placed in Jesus, we're placed into his death. Very literally, when Jesus died on the cross, all those who have put their faith in him died also. We were, by some extraordinary miracle of God, taken back 2,000 years and placed in Christ on the cross. When he died, we died. This is why we can have victory over sin in our lives. The child of God is dead. The reason we have so much trouble is that we simply will not accept the fact that we died. Again, the solution to this problem is found in verse 11. We must add up the facts and calculate ourselves to be dead in sin. So let's move on to point three and then bring it home. If point one is they must accept the reality of their passing and point two is they must accept the reality of their position, then point three is they must accept the reality of their potential. Their potential. The last part of verse four says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. Paul reveals a tr- uh, just it's thrilling. It's thrilling truth that not only did we die with Jesus on the cross, but we rose again with him from the dead. It's been clear, made clear in Scripture, made clear in my life, made clear in my walk, and I want you to have that same clarity. And if you do, celebrate with me. And if not, come join us next Sunday on a Clean Slate Sunday as we go towards that journey where we're going to celebrate our new life in Christ from that moment forward. I don't care what happened in Abilene, Kansas before next Sunday. You guys shouldn't care what happened in my life either. It's going forward from this point forward. Clean slate Sunday, new life in Christ. Why? Because we were there with him when he rose from the dead. Yes, we died with him on the cross, but we also rise with him. And that's why we celebrate it every Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. He's alive. And he gives us victory over sin in our life. And the child of God is dead. And that's the reason we we struggle so much. We were in Jesus when he died and when he rose from the dead, just like we were with Adam in the Garden of Eden when he sinned, and sin became hereditary. It all matches up. This is why when somebody trashes one part of Scripture, they're trashing the whole thing, because there's a harmony from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22. 
that I don't think man has the capability of putting that all together. It's, it's miraculous, the book we study. It's absolutely miraculous. See, we're tied to Jesus miraculously, intimately. And we participated in his death. We participated in his life. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 that he must be born again. Is it all making sense? See, when a person receives Jesus as Savior, that person becomes a partaker in his death. And at the same instance, he also becomes a partaker in his life. Ephesians 2, we're going to read 4 and 5, but I want you to really focus on verse 5. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. I'll wait for it to come up on the screen if you got it. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, is another version. It is by grace you have been saved. Because we died, we're dead to sin. Because he lives, we're alive to God and the things of God. Is it that simple? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so when you accept the reality of your potential, you have that comparison. A is a comparison. That's the comparison I just explained to you. Is made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Then that leads us to our final point of the day, which is you're now given commission. Since all of this is true, a believer should therefore walk in a manner that is consistent with the new life. And again, the pendulum. Remember the pendulum? You can have legalism over here. You can have grace over here. You can have truth. You can have love. And you need to find that balance. Because the simple thing to do is to take the truth I'm saying to you right now and then turn it into a legalistic, you've got to live for the Lord. You've got to show yourself worthy to be the church. And you can't ever show yourself to be sinful. That's not true. That's getting stuck over here. Or over here is, well, I guess I'm just a sinner, so I'm just going to go sinning so grace can abound. I'm, for, I'm forgiven anyway, so I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. No, that's not it. The balance of what Jesus is talking about is that he now has a commission for you. Because you know what you know, because God has touched your life, you now want to walk in a manner worthy of him. And let me, let me give you the the skinny. You can't. Nor can I. It is by the power of the Spirit of God that he puts a love for others in us that we can't conjure up ourselves. It's by the power of the Spirit of God that he puts inside of each one of us things that were not there before that is part of a new life that we have chosen. And you know what he tells us? He says, you need other sold out, born again, blood bought believers in Jesus Christ that are gripping onto the cross of Christ with everything that they have to be around you all the time. You need to gather together with them. This is why darkness wants to eliminate this portion of light, especially in California and other places, using COVID as an example to not get the saints to gather together, because there's power there. There's power there when you've got your commission and you're living it out. You can't do it on your own. The Spirit of God's going to give you these things, but He wants you to be with other people. This is why we must have a clean slate. 
You know, we, Emily and I have counseled married couples who've gone through some really rough stuff, whether it be financial embezzlement on one person's side or unfaithfulness on one person's side. And what they need is they need a clean slate to start. And there has to be forgiveness. We had the privilege of working with Al and Lisa Robertson. Uh, the, he's the oldest brother in Duck Dynasty. You see him in Bible Idiots. They have a marriage ministry, and we're talking about people that are broken to beyond brokenness. And they need that clean slate that can be found in Christ. So if we're dead with Christ on the cross, where he rose again with Christ from the grave, and we live with him through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're together, our commission then is to reach out to others. And we are supposed to be vastly different lifestyle and different life after we have Jesus with us than before. It should be obvious to us that Jesus is in our life. Romans 1.16, it's not in your notes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's everything. He's everything. I'm going to give you three scriptures as we close today on how is it possible. These three things are going to talk about receiving a new nature, have been made a new creature, and you're a new person. Are you ready? Let's start with 2 Peter 1.4. We have received a new nature. Because these he has given us a very great and precious promise, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world caused by or because of evil desire. Number two, you've been made a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Passed away? That almost sounds like the DPC. And see, the new has come. And you become a new person. Colossians 1.10. And we pray this in order that you may have a life worthy, live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. If this is true, and it is, but if this is true, then why is it that so many of us still struggle with lives that are tainted with sin? I struggled so drastically. I didn't share this with you before, but I'll share it with you in just a minute about what led up to the DPC. There was a lot of selfishness there. And what is it for you? I mean, the reason when you got saved, your, begot, your, you know, your body became two houses of two natures, right? We just explained that. And you can have the victorious nature. There's a new nature there, and it's still trying to be the king if you let it. As long as we're alive in this world, there's going to be warfare going on in our person. There are going to be many battles. And in Romans chapter 11, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, which I've mentioned a few times, it says, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Again! Paul's talking about the DPC. The dead person's charter. In America, in 2020, I'm going to be dead to what I used to be. I'm going to actually die. Because you want to know something? Here's the thing. In 15 minutes, somewhere in this country, someone who is your age is going to die. Is going to physically lose their life. And they didn't plan on it being today. And... Every person here, no matter how old you are, from, from three years old to 103, 
and everybody in between, someone in the next 15 minutes, statistically in America, is going to die and they didn't plan on it. They're not sick in a hospital, they're not in hospice, they're just going about their business and God takes them home. So then how should we live? We should live in abandonment. We should just give ourselves to Christ as if we're dead to sin and we're alive in Him. We must add up the facts and calculate the, you know, the dead to sin, which we can do because there's a part of us that wants to run to evil. There's a part of us that you know, wants to have hands that carry out the devil's work, but there's a big part of us, if we're saved, that says, no, no more, no more. And I am by myself, and I'm weak by myself. So I need others. I need a church. Not just a visible church that does churchy churchness. I need a group of people that are together. I need a group of people that are sold out for Jesus, that want to do the Lord's work. That want a culture that is about Christ and his business more than strategy. I can't tell you how many times I've been to churches where the business leaders get up and they talk about this strategery, and they're so smart in their smarty smartness. And they lay out these plans that are all human wisdom. Now, God gave us a brain, and he gave us strategy, and we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I'm here to tell you that a culture of DPC living Christians, which was just laid out by the Apostle Paul for you, is much stronger for the kingdom than strategery guy and trying to figure out how to grow the numbers. Because I'll take 20 of you for the rest of my life, over 2,000 of them. And you're looking at a guy who's spoken in front of 20,000 multiple times. I remember going to a church, I think there was 6,000 people there. The next week, I, I preached the same message to 30 in a little village in, in the desert in Arizona. And I don't know why, but the 30 was much more alive in Christ than the 6,000. Or our worship band that you see up here that you saw on video today, giving their hearts to Jesus through song. There's a genuineness there that I don't want you to miss. Because I've spoke at a ton of churches around the country where it's just a nothing but a bunch of casting crown wannabes that are getting up there, my CD's for sale in the lobby. Now, is there something wrong with selling your CD in the lobby? No. But if that's the point that you're trying to worship God for, then yes. Then you're not living the DPC. You're not living for Christ. So let me conclude today. If you're really saved and your body belongs to the Lord, the former occupant is now dead. Therefore, the new occupant, the Holy Spirit of God, can do as he pleases with the old house. It is his and it is no longer ours. Therefore, your desires become his desires. I'm very grateful that God gave us the home we get to live in, the office I get to study in, this church I get to preach from. But these are not the things that I desire anymore. They just happen to be there that God's providing, and I'm grateful for them. Now, I drive a really old car that I set my heart on driving to 300,000 miles and the air conditioning just went out and it's a lot hotter here than I thought it was going to be. So I might go buy a new car. But can I do it without my eye on worldly things in that moment? Will I be disgusted if it doesn't have heated seat and navigation system that will drive me to wherever I want to go? Or will I just be grateful that I can buy a new car? Do you, are you tracking with me? Are you getting it? Because I really want to wrap it up today. How dead men should live, in reality, they shouldn't. There is always a problem when dead men think they're still alive. Just look at all the horror movies built around this theme. I mean, when dead people live, it's kind of trouble, isn't it? 
And since we are dead, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to yield to the Spirit of God and allow God's life through us. We must reckon ourselves dead to the things of this world and alive to the things of God through the Spirit. When we can finally see that we are dead and that any life we hope to live must be lived through God, when we are ready to be free from that bondage of sin, we will go to a deeper place in repentance with Jesus Christ. You might be uh, saved here today. You might be a person that is completely soundly saved in Jesus Christ, and I hope that every one of you are. Statistically speaking, that's probably unlikely, but let's just say that for argument's sake that you are. I'm telling you, we can go to a deeper place together in our growth with Jesus Christ. It doesn't add one ounce to your salvation, but God's calling us to this deeper repentance, this deeper relationship. And it's filled with joy when you get there. It's filled with joy. To put a final stake in the ground on the DPC with what we did on December 29th, 2015, I just want you to know that there was still some wannabe successful things in my heart. And whenever you go to do things, you want to be successful. Jesus wants you to be successful. Remember, God's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. You know? But you just don't worry about things the way you used to anymore. You don't think of things through the same lens anymore. See, I left my job at Berlin Raceway, which was bivocational. I was the vice president of the racetrack. And I, it was a good job. And the, and the owner of the track is one of my heroes. I, I love this man. Like, a, like, I, like I love my family. He's been so good to me. But we had a syndicated radio show on USA Radio Networks. The book Bible Sidekick was about to be published with a publisher. We had an agent in Nashville that was going to book us around to do the Bible Idiots tour. And the movie Bible Idiots was going to come out in October. So it's Labor Day weekend. And the week before, we had just left Berlin Raceway, 2015. Within 40 days, we lost everything. The publisher went out of business. The book is now self-published. It's on my desk. I got one copy left. Uh, I got my first residual check on that about a year and a half ago. It was $23.18. Book the cruise. The agent I had went dark on us for 60 days, right in the middle of all this. Couldn't get him on the phone. And it turned out that the brother had um, issues with his family. His daughter actually had brain cancer, and he was struggling with that. So grace, grace, but still... Our career's in your hands, and you totally throttled it. The radio show that we had, USA Radio Networks, got bought out by Liftable Media, and they canceled all their shows, so our show's canceled. And the marketing money we had for Bible Idiots uh, just didn't show up. It's just not going to happen. So I'm asking God if we can find a way for a renewal. Because I want to serve him, but something's wrong in my spirit when you have that much loss. And our trip to England's already paid for. And we're going to have Christmas with our kids on the 19th of December. And on the 29th, we'll be back in London at this Heathrow, at Heathrow Airport where we stayed, where they had this restaurant, where, we, where I, when I told you what we did. And I was hoping that Bible Idiots, without any marketing help, would get screened at NRB. NRB is National Religious Broadcasters, and they meet at the end of February. And 4,000 broadcast leaders from around the, around the country in Canada descend on one place. This time it was Nashville. And they screen four movies at NRB. The three nights of the conference, they have the big screenings, and they have one matinee. That year, 
it was God's Not Dead 2, Young Messiah, and uh, that other movie that made $60 million. I don't even remember what, what the name was. Anyway, the matinee was available, and I talked to a guy named Steve Cross. And by the way, we're fasting and praying. We're praying. We're asking God to just draw us closer to him. And I came up with this idea of the DPC on the 29th. And I said, Emily, why don't we just start our life all over when we come back from England? Because we don't know what we're going to do. We don't know where we're going to go. We might, we're going to possibly go out on a Bible Idiots tour. And we did. We screened the movie at some colleges and stuff. We did it all on our own dime. We didn't know what we were doing. And, but if, if somehow we could get screened at NRB, let's pray for that. Well, a guy named Steve Croft was in charge of the NRB screening. And he said, look, there's no way. There's no chance. He said, there's 100 movies in front of yours. And they, they haven't even seen your movie. So just before Thanksgiving, I called him again. And I said, look, I said, when are you going to make the decision? He said, we're going to make the decision before the first of the year for sure. And, you know, as close to Christmas as possible. And I said, look, I'm not going to call you again. I'm just going to pray. And I said, when you guys pick the movie, would, would, you, would you call me? Would you, would you email me? Would you let me know? And no chance. So I go to one of the producers of the movie and I say to him, I say, if we get picked for this, I said, it's going to be like a $15,000 expense to screen at, at NRB. And, and he's like, there's no way they're going to pick Bible idiots. There's no way. I'll pay for it if it gets picked. So we go about our business. And the 20, you know, our time with our granddaughters is coming to an end. Christmas comes. And Emily and I, at my daughter's house, we sleep on an air mattress and on a couch. And we just kind of go back and forth, you know, flip a coin. Who gets the air mattress? Because it's going to be flat by the morning. And I can't get turned around, so I'm always up at 3 in the morning doing something. And she gets so annoyed, she wants me to be quiet. Well, I open my email on my phone on the 29th, knowing what's coming that night, that we're going to commit our lives to Jesus Christ in a dead person's charter. We're, we're, it's like our death is going to happen, and every day after that's going to be a bonus day. And there's an email from Steve Croft that says, I need you to pray for me, because against all odds, I don't even know how it happened, they just picked Bible idiots to be screened at NRB. And I get emotional. And I start crying. I start weeping. Because I had asked God all along, I said, if this is going to happen, let it be a sign unto me. I'm not a fleece putter outer. I'm not one of those guys. I said, but God, I need you to show me. So this was like in your face that this is the right thing. You're going to start a brand new life. So Emily thought that I was watching like funny YouTube. She thought I was like trying to hold back laughter. But I'm weeping in the Lord. And she rolls over. And she's like, would you shut up? That was my spiritual moment. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand. And, and when a couple hours she got up and I explained it all to her. And we, we just were celebrating in the Lord the whole time. Because... He does stuff like that when you, when you commit yourself to committing to him and while you're committing to him and as you go back and commit to him again tomorrow, he will show up and confirm it with you over and 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 over again. Did I mention? And over and over and over again. And some of you have confirmed Lifehouse as being your place. That this is where God wants you. And it has nothing to do with who else attends here. It has nothing to do with who the pastor is. It has nothing to do with where it's located in Abilene. It's that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God wants you here and he wants you to grow in him and he wants you to give your life deeper to him every day. And I'm saying, yes, I'm with you. That's why he sent us here. I'm telling you, 
you will want to go and do whatever God wants you to do. And you know what God wants you to do much of the time? What you want to do. Don't, if some of you have children and your ch child says, well, I don't know if I want to be an architect or I want to be a lawyer or a doctor, what do you say to them? Well, what do, you, what do you want to do, child? What do you want to do? Sometimes God puts desires in our hearts so that we can go carry them out. Other times, he doesn't want to. So the litmus test is this. Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory if a publisher drops big coin on your book? You or God? Now, who gets the glory when you self-publish this book and the 40 or 50 people that have bought it had their lives enhanced? By walking with Jesus. There's a lot of people that could have the coin dropped on them for the book over here. I could be that guy now, but then in September, October 2015, I wasn't that guy. I'm just being honest. I wasn't that guy. There would have been some glory stealing going on there. Chris would have had to get his share. And God says, no, I don't share my glory with anybody, especially some dirty-faced kid from Minneapolis. Ain't going to happen. Since we are dead, this is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to yield ourselves to the Spirit of God. And so how would you describe your life? Would you say you're the night of the living dead? Or would you say that you're the life of the living Lord? Choice is yours. You can choose to let a dead man live in your life, or you can choose to let a living Lord be in control of that intentionally dead person. Which is it going to be for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this truth that you have instilled in our life. And I just, I, I feel so ashamed when I think about my life in you, living as a Christian all the way up through 2015. All the years on the air, all the years preaching and teaching, and yet there was still lacking that extra depth. And even today, there's still a long way to go for me. Lord, your children here, speak to them where they're at. Guide them with their journey. And Lord, the body at Lifehouse, whether it's going to be 20, 200, 2,000, whatever it is, guide us into living this life for you in the times in which we live. Strengthen the remnant believers, Lord, that are here and that we would do your work your way in a culture that is designed by your scriptures for us to live unashamed and joyful with the full armor of God. Lord, be with us now as we turn to the Lord's table. Guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.